Welcome back to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. I got no jokes today because my guest is one of the funniest people I know. I'm going to leave that to him. I'm pleased to introduce Mr. J.T. Habersat, the man that pushed me into doing stand-up, for better or for worse. And uh, yeah, this was, this was also my first in-person interview for the podcast. We uh, sat down over a couple of pints and, uh, well, I'm going to let you hear the results. If you like what you've been hearing on the program, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Push that follow tab. Tickle that little bird. I don't know what you do these days, but just please, for the love of God, do it so you don't miss a single episode. And if you want to go one step further, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway. Every dollar counts and keeps my lights on so I don't have to podcast in the dark. I know I said that I could, but I was wrong. I tried and failed miserably. But you know what they say, if you don't fail miserably, then you didn't try hard enough. We also got to give some mad love to our sponsors, Heil Sound, because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me, cue porno music. He's had me on his podcast many times, The Road, and he's also had me out on The Road Live as a touring act. I can't thank JT Habersat enough, so it's time to do things my way. The Highway. Well, 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 how the tables have turned, my friend. You're on my podcast now. How does it feel? <laughs> Wonderful. I like that we're literally at a table, too. We're at a uh, picnic table. Yeah, this is the uh, the first podcast I've done on this one that's in person. So Really? Yeah, 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 because everything else has been uh, completely zoomed. Completely zoomed. With this, and, is, uh, this is unsafe? I don't like Zoom. <laughs> I don't know. I just call, I call people on the phone and I record it that way. And it's, it, it works rather well. Straight with through the phone line? Or did you straight use, Straight like, through the phone How line. the fuck do you, like, rotary of the phone? I've explained it on the podcast before, but I basically have my microphone into an interface, uh, call the person, and that's uh, going, the phone is going directly into the interface as well, <laughs> all into Reaper, through a Heil microphone, shout out to Heil, sound, uh, yeah, and, that, and that's it, so, uh, but this time, uh, thought we'd come to an, an undisclosed location. An undisclosed location, location yeah. And also, I, I don't want to give away my favorite bar in town, sorry. No, don't. Uh, Aaron, this place is nice and uh, quiet. I, I don't know. I don't want anybody to know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're in luck, sir, because this fucking place know, right. is hard to Which find. Which is also, uh, you know, I, I usually abstain from drinking and, and smoking weed and stuff while we do, do interviews and stuff. Oh. Well, so I can let my guests shine. But we, we've done so many uh, podcasts <laughs> together. We have. Oh, no, they can hear the airplane. Oh, airplane. They, they might know where we are now. Oh, fuck. They can. Um, no, but anyway, uh, yeah, you've had me on so many of your programs that uh, I wanted to bring you on mine because you, uh, you're a person that sort of pushed me into the realm of uh, stand-up, I suppose, or, or storytelling, uh-huh. or uh, just being uh, one person on stage with a microphone. Right. And uh, I really appreciate that. And, do you? Uh, okay, I, good. I, I was worried. I, I, I thought you'd be like, here's where the knife comes out. <laughs> you're like, this is for you, and this is for this. <laughs> no, but it really um, it, it uh, broadened my palate as far as who I am as an entertainer, and I really appreciate that because I don't think I would have ever uh, attempted that because it's such a different... Um, beast yeah. than being on stage with a guitar and um, you know l- looking like a rock and roll god uh, you, you you really have to be on your game and bring the energy yourself and, and it's, for uh, sure yeah, I feel like I'm a stronger performer because of it so thank you but I wanted to ask you yeah what made you want to do this just, just psychotic fucking art form <laughs> <laughs> uh, necessity I mean I, 
that sounds that sounds wrong. This is not necessity because I, I I actually really dislike the concept of the the comedian as needing to be center of attention because I'm so not that in real life. Um, not that that's not a thing. That's absolutely a thing, and a lot of stand-up comics are that. But like the person you know that has to be the center at every party, or like is very extroverted in that Jim Carrey kind of way. Which, although I should take walk that back too, because Jim Carrey's gotten real interesting lately, <laughs> where he became this painter and acid head, and is just like really philosophical and, and interesting. Uh, where I never found him interesting to be before. Always talented, but never really found him interesting. Now I think he's an interesting cat. But, I mean, I moved to Austin in 2005, and I had fucked around with comedy a little bit in college. Mainly, I had, like, an improv sketch group called Five Drunken Immortals, which would <laughs> absolutely be canceled today because we dressed in, like, kung, kung fu uniforms. It's based on an old kung fu called Five Drunken Immortals. And so our thing was comedy, improv, and kung fu. And we would just wear, like, judo geese and do improv and sketch. Like, we watched a ton of kids in the hall and the British whose line is it anyway and I tripped the fuck out because I was in LA last week doing a show and one of the guys from the original whose line is it anyway was there no way yeah dude it was so weird he, he's also he played the hypnotist in Office Space who has the heart attack and dies oh wow that guy he's been in a ton of stuff uh, apparently he was in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves he was like holy shit yeah and so he was, he came and found me after the show and was like that was incredible I was like what the just like you know, 19-year-old me was going, what the fuck, man? Like, I watched you. You made me want to try things on stage. But I don't know. That was, like, two years that I fucked around and did a little bit of, like... I was really into Black Flag, so Rollins' spoken word and stuff. I was trying to be funny, but spoken wordy. I never called it stand-up comedy. Yeah. But when I moved to Austin, I had been... I was out of all the bands that I had been in. I was done promoting shows. I moved here. I didn't know anybody at all. And I had no job at the time. Why'd and so, you come? Uh, my wife got a job with the state, and we were both blah, ready to go blah. somewhere else. No, it was great. It was <laughs> fucking great. It was great because we instantly had benefits, and she had a great salary, and we were just like, we can move in two weeks and be there. Fuck yeah. So it worked out. Um, she's not with the state anymore, so that's better. But <laughs> this was 2005, and when I moved, I knew zero people. And I was like, I can kind of create whatever path I want to do. And so for a while, I did nothing. I really didn't want to know anybody. I didn't want to be... I'd been promoting so many shows and bartending and working at a publishing house and doing all this shit in New York that when I got here, I'm like, I want to be anonymous, you know? Because it's the type of thing where you go into... It sounds arrogant to say, but you go to the bar and you have to... You spend 20 minutes getting in the door just shaking hands and saying hi to everybody. Yep. And I just... I don't have to tell you about that. You know how it is? And it felt almost like a weird... It sounds so shitty to say, but like an obligation of sorts where I'm like, I just want no one to know who I am. I just yeah. want to be by myself. And I spent a lot of time hanging out with my dog while my wife was at work. And I just was writing and just reading books and just figuring out what the fuck I wanted to do. I had like three months before I ran out of money for my last job that I had saved up. And so I said, well, I've always wanted to do stand up for real. Maybe I'll try it, you know. And so I just started fucking around and booked my own show at Headhunters. Yeah, I had gotten to know some... I didn't want to do the stand-up comedy route, which was like go to the Velveeta Room or Cap City. Because I I actually... One of the first things I did when I got down here was I I auditioned for uh, Last Comic Standing at Cap City and stood online for like three hours. Wow. And the desperation was horrific to me. Because it was like... (laughs) It was people with puppets 
and there was I remember there was a comic oh God, there was dude. this black dude in front of me who was named Cornbread was his like stage name I'm like history prevents me from calling you that I can't refer what's your name and he's like Chuck I'm like alright Chuck I can't call you Cornbread out loud that's fucking what are we doing here and so I but I stood online and I really was ugh about the whole thing yeah. you know and, and the I'm like it was these three judges and you had four minutes and I went up there and I'm like well I'm just gonna do my thing and they hated it, <laughs> which probably right because I'm not a fit for that show. <laughs> but even like I'm way I could do that now. I could I could do something that would probably be palatable to them now. But then I would, was so like fuck you, you know like yeah. I, I'm wait, but I'm the one who stood online for three hours, not them. They don't care. But I was just like it gave me such a bad impression of comedy clubs that I was like I don't want to do that. And so once I've been down here. I didn't do stand-up till like 2007 or 2008, so it took two years for me to finally book a show. And by that point, I knew some bands, uh, like Born to Lose. I was friends with those guys. I got to know them through Turbo ACs and Rat City Riot and all these kind of East Coasty punk oi bands that would come to town. And my buddy Josh Welf, who played bass in like the Hudson Falcons and so many bands, was like, "You need to see fucking Born to Lose," and made me like stay and watch them. And I got to be homies with those guys. And so I had a crew of people, um, and so we, like, Shriner Threat, you know, like, those, those kind of punk bands that would play 710 Room or whatever, uh-huh. and they would come see me at Headhunters. I'd just do my own show and book some, a couple locals. John Raven was a guy that I worked with a lot, because <laughs> I went on, on MySpace at the time, I'm like, oh, this guy does comedy in Austin, looks punk rock, he looks like he's in Social Distortion. And he was fucking great. John's still one of my favorite comics to this day. But uh, he was literally the only comic I knew in Austin. Yeah. And so that's what kind of got me into it. And then I just never stopped. Like, I don't know. I just kind of <laughs> liked it. Um, I kind of, by bypassing the stand-up scene here, I was in a, in a degree ostracized because comics were like, who the fuck is that guy and what is he doing? But also they're like, well, well he's not taking spots on me at Cap City, so I don't really care. But I'm also kind of like... He's getting some attention because I was just doing my own thing. You there know? was a small scene of that back in Austin, back in the day, uh, at the old emos downtown, uh, just uh, two blocks away from oh, the yeah. Hunters. You know, uh, Janine Garofalo would like play there, Patton Oswalt. I opened uh, for Janine Garofalo at that fucking show. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah fucking, I opened yeah. for Janine Garofalo's uh, show there. Uh, it was Rob Riggle, myself, yeah, Janine Garofalo. And um, yeah, I kicked a beer on somebody's face that night. They, were, oh. they, they threw a beer at the host's head, oh. and I had my beer in a cup out on the stage, and I was so angry about that, I went out and I fucking kicked the beer in that dude's face, and I was like, let's go. And But he, he like, I didn't get in trouble, which was nice. <laughs> it's emos. I don't think anybody <laughs> it was emos. for anything there. I did a lot of shows there, man. I, I, I opened for Rollins at Emos. It was Henry Rollins, myself, and Gallows. You like want to talk about a crowd that, yeah, the oh, band Gallows wow. from UK. Man, that's you want to talk a band that's ready to fucking laugh? Not Fuck Gallows. Yeah. <laughs> I love them, but they do not have a sense of humor. Uh, yeah, that was on the fucking... Many hardcore bands don't. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> although Paul from Sheer Terror, one of the funniest motherfuckers I've ever met. <laughs> I will say, if anybody wants to uh, have a mental image of uh, what JT's talking about, you can go watch the uh, the Headhunters episode of Bar Rescue. <laughs> if, if you want to see what an actual shithole that place was. The last time I did a sh- <laughs> I, So I... This is the idiot that I am, too. After I started to get... Emo started to book me. I opened for... Yeah, Janine Garofalo there. I opened for Rollins there. I opened for... Handy Dick, which was a total meltdown nightmare, wow. but hilarious. Like, so fun to watch for me, because I had nothing to do with that show, and I'm like, this is... 
I was booked to do 20 minutes. I ended up doing 45 because I couldn't find Andy Dick. Holy shit. And eventually a cab kicked him onto the curb, and it was such a train wreck. <laughs> it, was a, it was a nightmare for the venue, and me clapping with glee watching this shit show, <laughs> this, this train on fire just go There's off There's nothing the like watching a really famous person just eat shit. I mean, it's Andy Dick. Stage. So yeah, it was like, yeah. you kind of expect it, but it was like such a... Nah, like like <laughs> chef's kiss of like holy shit this is bad anyway um, I started opening some shows there and then people like Stanhope and Brian Posehn came to town and they were doing Red 7 yeah or, I was at that Stanhope show okay well uh, that was the first 08, one 08, 09 maybe oh, the like, first yeah. time I worked with Doug was 08 yeah and he had been doing Antones and we had met online and he was like yeah if you hear of a place I'm kind of tired of doing Antones. They're booking more blues and shit. And, like, I just feel like an odd fit. I'm like, I'll book you somewhere tonight, man. I know Red 7. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And so I booked it that night with Jared Cannon. Yep. I remember. And, uh, that was the first time I worked with Doug, and it was fucking fantastic. That it night, was, it was 100 degrees at midnight. Yes. I remember that. Yes, it was. Because everyone was just pouring sweat out it there, laughing brutal. their ass off. Yeah. And the first time I worked with Posehn was there. And what's funny about that is it was a, a matinee show. It was a 5 p.m. show in what August. What the fuck? Five, well, here's why. Because there was already a late show booked, which was fucking off with their heads, who I now have <laughs> toured with and I'm friends with. I've, I spent like three weeks on the road with off with their heads. And uh, I fucking love Ryan and that band. But at the time, I didn't know them at all. And so we had to go early. And so it was Posehn and I at 5 p.m. And I had a heat stroke because I had gone tubing the river. Oh, God. That day? No, two days before. But I was still... I'm vampiric pale, man. I'm You're fucking... from New York. You're I'm not from used New to York shit, and, like... and, and Norway. <laughs> and so I was heat stroke. As the first time I'd ever met Posehn, we, of course, smoked weed before the show because it was, you know... This was fucking... I just saw Brian last weekend in L.A. and we hung out for a while at his house and I met his kid who's now like 12. Oh, wow. He had just had his kid the first time we worked together and he was considering stopping to smoke weed. Oh, Like stopping on. to smoke weed. And that didn't last very long. Yeah. But it was, I get it, you have a baby around and whatever. If you have kids, you should be required to smoke pot. I'm I sorry, agree with you just, probably. Yeah, it makes you a much better parent. As a non-dad, I absolutely <laughs> believe that. But he had, you know, it was his first kid. It's still his first kid, but he was like, you know, I don't want to smoke in the house around a baby, like all the things. Second yeah, smoke. Sure, I, I sure. get it. So that that show, he was like, this might be the last time I smoke weed. I was like, well, fucking all right. We're going to go for it. Yeah. Well, weed plus 5 p.m. in August on an outdoor stage plus already having heat stroke. I was delusional, man. Oh, I don't remember God. a word I said. I remember <laughs> taking a beer. And I don't drink beer normally. We're drinking it now. But I took a beer and doused myself over my head completely like fucking Bon Jovi. And afterwards, I remember my wife was like, so you're feeling better? Because that was, that was good. Like, nobody noticed. And I went, I'm like... I don't remember a thing I just said, and I went and I threw up in a bucket. <laughs> I was so deranged. But I guess Brian liked it, too, because he was like, that was fucking great. And I was like, thanks. I don't remember a word I said. And uh, to this day, that show is just like piecemeal of images of yeah. just like meeting Brian for the first time and having it go well and then being so ghostly white and dead. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the point being, I started doing rock clubs, and I never worked, I never worked Cap City until like 2012 yeah. when Joe Sib came to town uh -huh. and they did a one-nighter and they had me open. That was the first. I just didn't care. Um, I still really don't. Uh, and I think Cap City, RIP, it's reopening with new management and stuff soon, which is great in a different location. R rise in peace? It's rising in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> 
The name is the same, but new owners. But by any means, I'm glad they're coming back. And I mean that because every time I went there, they were really cool to me. I never caught attitude from them. I, was, I always had a good time there. Like, it, it was like a cl- it's more of a classic comedy club. Yes, like, two and it's drink a good minimum, one. Like things like that. Having you know, done a I, lot I of comedy, was saying there it was yep. good. It was a really good show. Uh, I've yeah. done a lot of comedy clubs since then, and it, Cap City was a good one. Uh, the only thing is, which I refuse to do to this day, is their big thing was their comedy contest every year. Austin's Funniest Person Contest. Oh, that's right. And it was you had to do that in order to get booked there, and I refused because I think comedy contests, no matter who do the who, whatever the fucking venue, are inherently lame, and I don't like making comedy, which I like a lot, into a competition. I think yeah. it's fucked up. Um, and so I would never do it. I would go and support it. I would go watch my friends do yeah. it. And so I was always treated nicely there. And I did a few shows. Matt Bearden, who's a great stand-up comic, and he's on... Uh, KLBJ. KLBJ and, and uh, all the... The Alternative Rock! Matt's great. He hangs out here. Matt, if you're listening, we're at uh, your favorite bar. He hangs we're, out here? We're, that, we're not going to say the name. Sense. We're not going to say the name. <laughs> <laughs> that, makes fun. that makes perfect sense. Matt, I can totally see Matt being here. Yeah. I love Matt. and we, He was one of the guys that was like, all right, you're doing different than club shit, but I like you anyway. Like He was yeah. very very cool to me, very early on. But um, Matt Bearden used to run Punch, which was like the Tuesday alternative show and so in like, in like that front bar the front bar yeah, the yeah, small yeah, yeah. room and he would do these things called cringe-taculars which was like anything goes and he'd book me for those <laughs> and so I'd do Cap City on those because and I'm not cringy like I'm not fucking blue actually no, no not at all no no. I, I your, just your stories have, are f- very funny thanks but yeah not, not I wouldn't call it cringy I yeah. just have non-traditional approach to sure. stand-up yeah. and I also because of my reputation as being fuck the clubs especially back then now not so much. I do clubs all the time. But back then I was very I was very much fuck the club. You can find me at JT Custom Toys. Well, my, <laughs> my thing has always been I'll do a club perfectly fine as long as they don't tell me what to do or say. Sure. And they don't make me like sell tickets or something. Like like right. not, not yeah, sell yeah, tickets yeah. by selling tickets, like you know what I mean, like putting asses in seats. Yeah. But like you have to sell thirty tickets to your friends to bring them to fucking fuck Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That's that's the, know, the, the pay to play shit. That, that's a common practice in like opening band territory on bigger tours. Like if a promoter if a promoter is having a hard time selling tickets to a show. They'll Add a local. Add the local. Give them 50 tickets and make them go sell them to their friends. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's essentially bringer shit. Yeah. And I just refuse to do that. And so, uh, but they treated me nice there. And the long tail on this kite being, by the time 2012 or so rolled around, I was kind of a known entity. And I, I, was, store, I was touring nationwide doing exclusively rock clubs. I had done the West Coast with Joe Sib doing the Improvs, which was a big club chain. Yeah. And I mean, we did, and it was largely Joe's draw because he's like the king of California. Shout out to Joe because he's a sweetheart. Joe Sib's the best. Joe Sib from the band Wax. He runs Side One Dummy Records, all that great shit. Joe started doing stand-up and brought me out to open for him and we did the Hollywood Improv and like Bad Religion was there and fucking Tony Hawk and all this and we did the San Jose Improv which is a double-decker theater that held 600 people and we sold it out on like a Tuesday. Sick. It was fucking great. And so, and the crowd loved it because it was our crowd. Yeah. And I said, I got a taste of that. I said, this is what I want. I want to curate my own. I'll eat shit for years just to curate my own audience. Yeah. That's rather, the only way. It's just like a, being in a band. You build your own scene. It's what you do. There's it is no, with like, bands, yeah. and that's what I've yeah. known. But it's not the only way with comedy. Comedy, you work uh-huh. out as host. You get your hot 10 minutes. You eventually work your way up to feature. Then eventually you work your way up to headliner, but that takes years and years and years, and you play in venues that paper the room where they're yeah. giving away free tickets, and yeah. they're coming to see comedy, not necessarily you. Right. I want people that are going to come see me. Um, and it's funny now, because I've been doing this for fucking almost 12 years, 
I've been full-time with it since 2014, which I realized the other day, I'm like, wow, that's almost seven years, like, not bad. Um, hustling my ass off and doing, when I first quit my day job, man, I was doing 125 shows a year. I was working. You have to. You have to. Well, you don't. You can just coast. You can be a fucking... If you're rich already, I mean, sure. Yeah, or you, you can coast and you're significant <laughs> other, you know, and my wife absolutely paid a lot of the bills to when I was starting. Shout out to Donald So Girl. Yeah. But... I, I knew, like, all right, if I'm going to fucking do this, I'm going to do this, you yeah. know? I mean, and that black flag thing kicked in where I'm like, let's fucking go, man. Let's go. Let's let's fucking live it. I could never do that now. The yeah. concept now of that uh-huh. is, well, again, it's many years ago. Well, we'll get into that yeah. in a minute, but that's, that's that's a solid start, man. Like, just uh, I, I love those stories about how people just decided to give life the double middle finger and hop in a van and just fucking go do your own thing. Yeah, and it, but it was also at a turning point where I was I was at the point where with my day job I was turning down offers. You know, I was getting opportunities to tour and saying no because I had X amount of vacation time. Yeah. And by that point, I got kind of discovered by Stand Up Records, which is like a Grammy-winning label out of Minneapolis, who had put out stuff by Stan Hope and Pat Oswalt and David Cross and all these people, Mark Marin. And I was signed to them firmly. Like, I, I eventually did three albums with them. So I had a really good label, uh, kind of, like, believing in me. And I was just like, fuck it. You know, like, I'm, I'm still... I was, like, 38 or whatever at the time. Like, well, no, let's do the math. Yeah, I was about 30, 38, 39. Like, let's just go for it. And so it was the best decision I ever made, but it was terrifying, which I'm sure uh-huh. you understand all too well. Yeah. Um, zero regrets. When I made that decision, did. I was 20, though. So it, it was uh, slightly There's a little bit less more. terrifying. <laughs> I was also, I should say, the job I was working at, I liked a lot. You know, I was doing marketing. My boss, I'm still friends with to this day. We keep in touch. Because you came from radio. I did. Was, kind of, was that the job that you walked away from here? Yeah, or was the it, yeah. job I walked away from in New York was radio. Yeah. I worked in Woodstock, New York, at the main radio station, which is still there, WDST. Uh and I was like an indie program director. I was like the young piss and vinegar kid that was like, when it told them all, like, this this sucks, you should be playing this. Yeah. Fuck Smash Mouth. What are you doing? And uh, that was kind of the role that I was paid to be. Yeah. Like the guy that would give them this like snobby voice of the youth. Yeah. Which I relished because I was 100% that fuck. 100%. And still am to some degree. Your stories about those days are fucking hilarious. I got some good stories, yeah. man. I worked with some wild people. I worked with... This woman named Elda, who was in the Stilettos, which was Debbie Harry's first band before she went on to form Blondie. I worked with Jennifer Connelly's dad, <laughs> who hated my guts. He hated me. And, and, and I had the biggest crush on Jennifer Connelly when I was growing up, and I met her, and I was like, oh my God, you're fucking stunning. And then I was like, but your dad is such a dick. I didn't say that, but he was such a dick. And we used to get into arguments all the time because I thought he was full of shit and washed up. Oh, my God. Because he was like this old CEO guy that was now working at this radio station and bitter about it. And I was like this young, cocky. But they present like they they'd be like, here's our new marketing thing, and it was like, hey, you want to meet the girls on the bus? And I was like, I'm playing Sleater Kinney here. What are you doing? <laughs> like fucking, that is some old man Skid Row shit, and I like Skid Row, but what the fuck, man? Like it's not Guns N' Roses anymore. Like it's 2002, bro. Right. <laughs> God. And so I just butted heads with them a lot. But again, it was kind of the role I was supposed to play. But yeah, I, I saw the writing on the wall though when I started doing radio. I went in for a shift, and it was. All right, we got this new computer thing, and you just watch the. You don't play CDs anymore or vinyl. Mm-hmm. You just watch this computer run, 
and then talk during these scheduled breaks. And you don't really need to be here. If you want to record it, if you're busy, you can just record it and we'll just plug it in. I was like, I'm not going to spend the next 20 years of my life watching a computer roll right. screen and play bare naked ladies. Yeah. Fuck that. And so I quit radio. Well, they're going to be the next guest next week. So bare we naked ladies. <laughs> I have a funny bare naked lady story. <laughs> this is a pretty epic story. I was. This please, is, please, please. All right. So this is. <laughs> I told this once or twice, maybe. When we were I was on hoping you would want to. Yeah, I was hoping you'd want to go there. I know I was, it's your bit, but if you don't, want, if you don't want to do, you know. <laughs> no, have to, it's a real a story. story. I'll tell the story. I was working in radio. I was a young fuck. I was maybe twenty-four. And no, I was younger than that because I had just got started getting on air. I was getting. Sli- I was doing overnights. And they said, you have a, you can do Saturday afternoon this week. And it was a big deal for me. I fucking love this story. And because <laughs> I'm me, I got there and I was like, it was Bare Naked Ladies. It was that fucking, if I had a million dollars. I hated that song. I thought it was the most hokey bullshit. I just hated it. And they had it in rotation and I saw coming up that I was going to have to play it. And I said, not fucking today. And so I played... People Who Died by the Jim Carroll Band instead. Fuck yeah. Because I found that, and it was in rotation technically. I wasn't going to play like a deep cut of some, you know. Sure. Here's I'm a Gamma by Pink Floyd, you know, like. Because that song was kind of, it was on the, the, the Basketball Diaries soundtrack. Yeah. It was radio-ish. Yeah, yeah, it was poppy. They played PJ Harvey and shit off that album yeah. anyway. So, like, it wasn't a full left field. Full pull. middle finger, just a half middle finger. It was a half middle finger. Yeah. And so I played that song instead. And boy, did I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently they noticed and I was getting phone calls man this is great I haven't heard this song in so long oh dude I'm tearing up my buddies used to play this when we were in the tombs together shit like that like alright just hardcore motherfuckers making their Saturday and then the music director called me up and they said what the fuck are you doing I was oh like uh, I just I was lied I said oh, I was a request he was like my office Monday <laughs> because you're not supposed to play requests. And so I got read kind of the riot act, like you stick to the playlist. And I understand because I was this 22-year-old shit and he was it was Nick Harcourt who went on to become Morning Becomes Eclectic on KCRW, wow. who eventually gave me his indie show. So it worked out. He saw something in me that he liked, but he had to be the boss. Sure. And he said, all right, well, today is Monday. You know what that is? And Monday was the mail day when new albums, CDs would come in the mail. You'd pile it up all week. And then you'd listen to it together, the new shit that was coming out, the advances on bands, and you'd decide collectively what you liked and what you didn't. It was a big deal for me because I got to voice my opinion to people and try to influence the station in some way. I remember that band Mad Season with Mike, uh, with uh, Lane Staley, Lane Staley yeah. and Mike McCready yeah. from Pearl Jam and stuff. I loved that record and I fought and finally got them to add a song and that was a big nice. deal. Anyway. He said, yeah, you're banned from the music meeting today. You have to sit and answer the phones downstairs while we have the music meeting upstairs. And I was like, ah, fuck. Like, that was a real bummer. But I was like, that's fair. And I still thought it was worth it, because fuck that Bare Naked Lady song. And turned hooray out, for... Turned out to actually be worth it. Well, then, I'm sitting there answering the phones, but I'm kind of bummed, because I can hear them upstairs listening to music and stuff. They have the door kind of shut, and they're playing it loud. And there's a knock at the door downstairs, so I go to answer the door, as is my job for the day. And there's an eight-foot-tall Muppet standing there in black sunglasses <laughs> and I was speechless uh, and he looked down at me from like a hundred feet ahead and just said hi I'm Joey Ramone is this the radio station and I fell out of my fucking chair because it was, it was Joey Ramone standing in front of me without any forewarning and I had never seen the Ramones growing up they played the Chance of Poughkeepsie a lot I never got there for whatever reason I missed them but I was a huge Ramones fan as am I 
And so I was like, holy shit, you're Joey Ramone. And he came in and he was super weird, but super nice. And I brought him into the radio station downstairs where the woman was on air and she flipped out. And I said, he's like, I was in the area. I figured I'd stop by. Hey, I'm Joey Ramone. Fucking, uh, it was amazing. And he just sat there and I, he took over the station for 50, 20 minutes. And he's like, hey, play, play this Nirvana band. She's like, we know Nirvana. What do you want to hear? He's like, territorial pissings. I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I'm flipping out, applauding, watching from the doorway just watching Joey Ramone make this woman play whatever the fuck he wanted, which is what I got in trouble for. And he hung out for 20 minutes, and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go, and just fucking got up. And I walked him out, and he shook my hand, and he was like, be cool, kid, or whatever the fuck he said, and he left. And I was just sitting there like, that was fucking amazing. Like, I just met Joey Ramone. I had solo time with Joey Ramone. I got to watch him take over the radio station, then just, just left like a ghost. And about 15 minutes later, I heard the music stop upstairs. They came down. They're like, everything cool? I was like, yeah, you didn't miss much. <laughs> you cocksuckers. And so then they found out shortly after Joey Ramone was there. And then I got in trouble again because I didn't come up and tell them. Oh, boo. But whatever. Boo. Whatever. Boo I, I didn't care. Um, but, yeah, that was a good radio station moment. God, so sick. But, yeah, man, I mean, that was a long answer to your question. But, I mean, I, I kind of got started in comedy when I moved here wanting to try something different. And then it... It just kind of worked. Well, you pushed me into it because we met at, uh, I think it was 2014, maybe, 2015. Around at, uh, there. Fun 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 Fest. I think it was 2014. We met because, at Fun uh, Fun Fun Fest. The first time you saw yeah, me, though, yeah. I was on drugs at a black box theater. Well, I thought we met earlier that <laughs> no, day. No, we, we met, but you had never seen me do stand-up. Oh, no, no, that. no, that's right. Yeah, because uh, we were backstage. I think uh, whatever girl I was dating at the time was friends with you and Donna, and then she was like, yeah, Oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He does a podcast and like this and that. Yeah, I remember then, that. Like, we um, we... We might have even we done a podcast that It's possible. Yeah, probably, because I ran I around know. backstage yeah. at Fun 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 Fest with my gear. Yeah. And would uh-huh. just try and, like, snag stuff here and there with people. And I just remember, uh, I, I remember because Judas Priest was headlining that year, Fuck and yeah. there was a food truck backstage, uh, Frank, uh, uh-huh. the, the hot dog place. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, uh, they had this thing that was on the menu that was... Uh, uh, Turbo, it was called a Turbo Dog, and it was two hundred and fifty dollars. What? Cash only. Two hundred fifty dollars. And it, but and there, I, you'd go up to the window, and you'd be like, "What the fuck is a Turbo Dog?" And they'd say, uh, "You gotta, you just gotta put two hundred fifty on the fucking table, and then we'll give you the Turbo it's Dog." It's cocaine on a right? You know, I was, I mean, but nobody had the guts to do it. And finally, somebody, some crew person from some other band, I think, uh, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn. I think it was like a Rocket from the Crypt, Guitar Tech, or that something. That sounds right. Somebody like that went up, and they're like, "Fuck it." They put two fifty cash on the table, and all they got was a regular ass hot dog, and five hundred dollars cash. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody behind him was like, "I'll take one too," and they're like, "Nope, one and done." That's like, fucking awesome, yeah, so, so, But that, I, I remember that. But then, uh, yeah, later that night, you were like, "Hey, we're doing a, uh, a show with the, I don't remember what it's called, a Fallout." <laughs> it was Fallout Theater at the time. Yeah. It was called the New Movement. That's right, New Movement. And it was yeah. drunk, stone, sober. Yeah, and uh, th- which means like there was two comics that were totally sober, two comics that were totally fall down stoned, and, and two that were fall down drunk. And one of one of them was actually fall down drunk. Oh, that dude great. threw up. I yeah, know, yeah, he got really, yeah, you can really see, I mean, I've never seen somebody that drunk on stage yeah, before. Yeah, he was real belligerent. I mean, I, and I've been drunk on stage. But uh, yeah, you decided instead of smoking weed, you were going to smoke <laughs> salvia. I'm like a fucking maniac. And, but was, and read passages from this really <laughs> fucked up, like, incest, There was this heavy, Harlequin, fucking, Harlequin yeah. romance novel oh, God, called dude. Daddy by Accident that I found at Ugh. a book fair for 50 cents, and it was the grossest. It's just this pregnancy softcore for ladies book. And, yeah, this 
chick is like nine months pregnant and gets banged. And it was like the grossest, funniest passage. And I would just read that sometimes during stand-up shows just to creep out the audience because it was just funny for me. It was very Andy Kaufman. More, more like, yeah, performance art than yes. yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. Which still. was very much informative of what the spoken word shit I was doing when I was, <laughs> doing. When I was in college doing spoken word shit. I, I would come out to like Cypress Hill's pigs in like a pig uniform and a cop outfit. And we'd... <laughs> I remember I did that once and there was a cop in the audience and I was like, I'm going to get my ass killed. Fuck yeah, but at the time I was such a black flag dude. I was like, fuck you. Um, anyway. Yeah, that was the first time we met. I was, was fucked mentioned. up on Salvia. Yeah, and then for whatever reason you were like, <laughs> I don't know, you're a funny guy. Why don't you like come uh, come to my birthday roast? Which, number yeah. one, I didn't really know you that well at the time so I couldn't properly roast you. Number two, yeah. I never just stood on stage with a fucking uh, microphone and, and, and everything like that but you're like you'll, you'll get home we'll give you 10 minutes you'll be fine we'll put you on first yep. it'll be great and uh, I showed up to the North Door uh, RIP yeah uh, great venue it was and uh, <laughs> I had all I like I said I didn't know you that well I only know like three or four things about you but I was like well I'll just uh, tell a bunch of your mama jokes or something like that <laughs> I didn't know your joke mom joke of the night didn't know your mom was gonna be there yeah I didn't either at the time much less that you were recording the entire show and you're gonna put it yeah. out on Stand Up Records put that out and uh, so if, if anybody wants to find my comedy debut you can go you to can't the, get it anymore the, it's gone the joke oh good it's sold out thank god yeah uh, yeah, maybe I'll put I have it on a YouTube. Copy, I don't know. Yeah, I've got, I got an extra one. I don't know if anybody wants it. It'll cost you one million dollars. Put it up. Two fifty. Two hundred fifty dollars yeah. to get a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I went up and uh, I told a couple of jokes. It was fun. I was having a good time. Uh, I, I learned really quick that like, ten minutes on stage is a lot longer than it sounds. Because mm-hmm. I got about four minutes deep before I was like, okay, this is it. I, yeah. I got to go. Do an hour. And uh, I, 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 I just remember saying that, like, you know, I don't really know JT that well. A lot of people don't, actually. A lot of people don't even know what JT stands for. <laughs> He's actually named after his mother, who was a wonderful woman. She's sitting here in the front row. Old Jiggle Tits Haversat. Jiggle Tits Haversat. <laughs> I and your dad was so there too. hard at that. And your dad, like, I think your dad laughed harder than oh, anybody in the building. <laughs> oh, dude, that was so funny. My mom will still talk about that to Holy this day. shit. And you've met her now. I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. She would never apologize I'm, for that. It was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing. Yeah, and Dave from the Crumbums and the Casualties. He was showed in up in full drag. drag. Oh my God, he probably had the best set as Lavaca. Yeah, oh my Lavaca St. Clair or some shit. Because I hadn't seen him in a few years at that point, so like the the first time, like be like Dave, oh my God, yeah, they like in full on drag. He, he did a not great break job. character at all. Oh no, no, not all night. Yeah, he he was he, yeah he was invested. Well, I don't know, man. I had this kind of weird <laughs> bloodhound thing where I saw it in you. I saw it in Mike Weeby from the Riverboat Gamblers. Where I'm like, you can, you, I know you can do this as a thing. And I've booked a lot of these, I call them altercation road stories, where it's just me and rock friends for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's not stand-up comedy per se. No. It's just like dudes in bands telling, telling hilarious road, road stories. stories. And yeah. They, they yeah. happen to be funny a lot of the times. Right. But like Scott Reynolds from All. Yep. He was so nervous doing it. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Scott, you're going to be fine just because I know you have the thing. Yeah. And, and you were super nervous doing it. And Weeby was super nervous doing it. And Mike now is a straight-up killer stand-up comic. Absolutely. Uh, and you have gotten so fucking good, it made people annoyed. <laughs> the last time you did it... Fuck them. Well, no. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man. In a good <laughs> way. But the last show we did before COVID shutdown was at the old Beerland yeah. Road Stories. Uh-huh. We had members Fe- of the February Dicks. 2020, yeah. And, uh, dude, people were like, Kyle's gotten so fucking good, because you came out and did a few weekends with me. That was great. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, me, and Dave from Crumb Bones, and Mike Weeby, and... Um, we did, with, Charlie. did one show with uh, Cheetah Chrome. Yeah, Cheetah Chrome with the Dead Boys talking yeah. about getting into a fist fight with fucking Iggy Pop. He, he was like, his 
Uh, the thing is, when, when you put people in bands on stage like that, sometimes they really clam up, and I just remember his voice was like the 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 decibel equivalent of like a mouse fart. Yeah. You know, and so Real like small. every everyone was just like super quiet. Well, he's like, also you a guitarist, man, and so, so he doesn't have he those mic skills. Stories. He told this Amazing fucking story. Stories. So whenever Dead Boys, I'm just going to tell his story, yeah, I don't care, but great. whenever Dead Boys um, was recording their second record, apparently all the, the sire bands got sent to Miami to record their second yep. album. Yep. So Dead Boys were in Miami, and then uh, Runaways were opening for Ramones coming through town, and they all like got on, somebody knew somebody that had a fucking sailboat or a yacht or something <laughs> got on I it forgot about this, yeah. first thing the Ramones did was fly like a Nazi flag off the fucking like mast that and had just, to like, be uh, Johnny and, and there was like <laughs> everyone was just getting trashed throwing all their beer cans over the edge of the boat and everything and like eventually they got pulled over by the fucking coast guard like, police. like do you know how the fuck we found you we followed the trail of beer cans all the way out to your fucking sailboat and holy shit are you the Ramones <laughs> they were like number one you take that fucking flag for <laughs> yeah, the top dude. of your Come sailboat on, down and then just get the fuck out of here we don't want to see anyone I mean Dr. oh my Rockaway god Beach. dude like seriously man yeah like, I mean Cheetah shit. Cheetah is one of those dudes that I I kind of befriended and he liked my stand up for whatever reason and he was he was a hard one to convince to do it because he was just like dude I stand behind the guitar yeah. like you're Cheetah Chrome like I know. you fucking you were he told me stories such a punk rocker in 1979 dude, dude blew my mind crazy yeah. And um, I drove him home that night after that show. I'm like, just <laughs> driving Cheetah Chrome back to his apartment. <laughs> it's so wild. And, um, yeah, I mean, part of the... If there is a silver lining to kind of doing it my own way and going rock club instead of comedy club first, it's that I've connected with a lot of rock and roll people that, you know teenage me wouldn't if you had a time machine to go back until 16 yeah. year old me you're going to be friends with this person yeah you're going to trade art with Raymond Pettibon like fuck you like that's, you know like I, I saw like, that piece he drew for you that was fucking incredible dude it's so insane to me if anyone doesn't know who Raymond Pettibon is he, he drew the cover of Sonic Youth's goo you know what I mean yeah he drew the black flag bars that are on so my arm so shit man it's fucking insane yeah and he's like a true Andy Warhol genius yeah. and we've gotten to be buddies and he likes my art which is nuts and like uh, like I don't know. It's it's very. Uh, we were just talking. I was in L.A. last week and had dinner with the lead singer of the Jesus Lizard, and it's like, what the fuck, man? I, you know, but they're just people. Like I never really got oh, yeah, star crazy. Yeah. But um, I, I, I it fortunately, is though, yeah. it's just cool. It just feels so good to be like, you know, I'm gonna do Lydia Lunch's podcast soon, and just like I, uh, I fucking love Lydia Lunch. You know, yeah. there's like shit that like, I you know, I've gotten to be kind of friends with these people and it's just so worth more of a currency to me than money absolutely everybody's got to make money um well, speaking I'm of doing like, you okay. know, the, 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 the pandemic, too, is like everybody went into, like, you know, Ambition Overdrive. And, like, the way that you handled it was awesome sure. because, like, I started painting dumb parodies of myself on solo. Not covers. dumb at all. Well, fucking awesome. Well, well, you did the exact same I, pivot. I appreciate that. But, yeah, you went into fucking sculpting uh, custom action figures. Yeah. And commissioning them. And it just, like, there's just mind-blowing just watching you just turn in from, like, comic into sculptor. I was like, holy shit, man. Like, I didn't know that was in you. you know, I didn't either. I, I didn't. I had never. I was never a model kid growing up. Like, yeah. I never painted shit. I had never, much less sculpted anything. And, I, and the sculpting came way later when I started doing the custom toy stuff. Um, I basically do what's called kit bashing, which I didn't even know was a term. But <laughs> it, it's called kit bashing, and what I called it Frankensteining, where I just take sure. old G.I. Joes or whatever and cut the head off this one and put the head on this one and put it together, and suddenly you have a fucking... 
David Yao from the Jesus Lizard toy or something, yeah. you know, and I just package it up because I used to make a lot of my own T-shirts and posters designs, so I had a little bit of Photoshop skills, and I was like, I can just make these, and it just took off like a rocket. And a lot of people are like, Wow, how the fuck did you go from one art to another art? And I was like, Necessity, dog. Right? Yeah. I was gonna. It was either I go swim, crazy. Man. Yeah, absolutely. I had to have. I mean, I feel so lucky that people gave a fuck and that I was able to make some money on it because I had no money. I couldn't, you know, touring was shut down, as you yeah. know, and it was literally do something creative or go fucking nuts. Now you started a talk show, too, which was kind of like a, just yeah. like the, more of an extension of the road story yeah. that you kind of did, but just, just watching you turn into that actual physical artist was like fucking rad because you did shit, I mean, like, I, I can't even remember them all, you did so many, um... Uh, I think the the latest one you did was the Lost Highway one. The yeah, Fish Arcade which with the went to fucking VHS. The, yeah. That's in David Lynch's office right now, Isn't that and he's giving wild? it to Patricia Arquette. Yeah, it's so crazy. Well, this this gallery came calling last summer. That's right. In L.A., and they're doing a Stephen King show, and they wanted me to submit a piece for that. And I was like, fucking what? So suddenly I'm in this L.A. gallery, and it sold on the first day. I did a 12 inch, the. Uh, the jogger from Pet Cemetery, Pascal. Yeah, but what did you do before? Oh God, this is a funny story. Yeah, so I had I was gonna do I had done a week of the Shining toys and it it was hugely successful. People were I couldn't believe how quick this shit was going. People were buying stuff in like under a minute. Because they're one and done. One and done. I only yeah. do one of each. They're yeah. art pieces. They're not. I've ha- I've been approached by people to mass produce and I, I say no. I don't want to be a business owner. I want to fucking make art. Yeah. You know. And so. 100%. Um. They're all one and done. I'll, I, I did two once in a while, but they go to the same owner. Somebody was like, I want the same one for my buddy because it's a thing. Sure. I would sometimes do that. But I'd never make two and sell it to two different people ever. Um, but I was going to make, because it was a Stephen King thing, I made Dick Halloran from The Shining as a 12-inch figure <laughs> dead with the axe in him from that pivotal scene, you know? And I lo- it came out great. It, I, I fucking spent it so much beautiful. time on it. I mean, I ordered the snowsuit. I had it perfect. I had the fucking fireman's axe in him. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to send it. It's Friday night. I've worked on this thing for two weeks. It, the, the piece has to be at the gallery by Monday. And I'm going to send it the next day overnight. And I realized <laughs> it was the week that, like, the Black Lives Matter movement exploded. It was like the, the Minneapolis Police Department yes. was on fire that week. Yes, and everything. it was yeah, that it was week just, of shit. Yeah. And I had this moment of zen that Friday night where I was like, Oh my fucking god! This is my first ever gallery show. And I'm gonna send a dead black man. <laughs> I can't I'm sorry send to laugh, but this. It's just like, no, it's hysterical. I'm, I'm Think about your uh, your foresight. Well, I mean, the thing is, man, I'm such a fan of The Shining. It's probably my favorite horror movie. It's probably the movie I've seen more than any other film. And to me, it didn't register at all because I was just making a Shining. Hundred percent, yeah. For for so a gallery. The but world. then I was like, but I looked at it, I was like, it, but it's still a dead black guy, and you know, I fucking. I can't send this. And so I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? I just can't. And so I, it was like fucking top chef. It was like, all right, this was Friday night. I realized this. It was like Saturday morning. I'm getting up. I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to see what I can find. I have some other like basic heads that I can sculpt around. Let me look at them. And so I started looking at them. I'm like, well, this could probably be the jogger from Pet Cemetery. I bet I could find shit for that at Walmart. And so I went and I found all this Ken doll stuff and I fucking... I, dude, I, to make those jogging shorts, I found like a red laser suit and like cut the shorts 
short because they're short jogging shorts, man. And I couldn't find a, a gray hoodie like he has, so I fucking bought a different hoodie and I bought gray spray paint. And oh just like, God. I went fucking nuts with it. Hard save. Hard save. And I sculpted <laughs> this motherfucker. I spent 14 hours making this dude. Oh, man. And it looked beautiful, by the way. It came out really good, and it sold the first day for like a, a decent amount of money. But I literally made that in like 15 hours straight. I was just like a maniac and sent it. And they're like, yeah, it sold the first day. I was like, what the fuck? And so that was really gratifying. Like, okay, not only do, like, curators see some sort of thing here, but, like, I can also, under pressure, like, shift gears on that much of a dime right. and still kind of come through. Because, I, you know, I was fucking, dude, I was sweating it. I was like, I'm just going to lose this opportunity. Absolutely. I'm just not going to do it. Um so it worked out but it just snowballed like anything else you know like it, that's what's so fucking cool is that it was just word of mouth you know it was like like the comedy but now what's weird is that a lot of people know me just as the toy guy and they're like oh <laughs> shit you do comedy too oh my and God. so I mean I toured with this guy Eddie Pepitone a lot now and we just did our first kind of two week tour back throughout like Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville and stuff Chattanooga and what's cool now is I have people that are like toy fans that come out tight which is great. It's like doubling up the audience, you know. Uh, people saying, "Are you gonna have shit at the merch table?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> like, maybe I should, but it's hard the, to travel." The one, I think, the one that jinxed everything was the the one that you did. It was you did a coronavirus toy. <laughs> that went to Pat Oswalt. Uh, February of 2020. <laughs> it was just a, sh- uh, a watered up it tissue. Was a tissue. <laughs> it was a tissue with a, a bunch of scared people, and it just said, "We're fucked." The, yeah, the slogan just said, "We're fucked." And uh, little did we know, brother. Yeah, oh Pat Oswalt got that, and and he said, "Yeah, I had to give it to a friend because that's how you spread coronavirus." <laughs> and we laughed. And laughed because it was March of 2020. <laughs> I just made a new one for Patton. Actually, he's gonna. He just got it because he's been traveling. It was. Uh, he posted this hilarious photo of him holding a sword, uh, and people started photoshopping it. And so I grabbed that. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna use this, and I made it into a Highlander toy, Damn. where it's Patton Oswalt holding that sword and holding the severed head of the main dude from the original Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite ones you did because at first they were pretty like esoteric. Oh yeah, uh, they, yeah. they eventually became more like traditional Ashkin figures. But what, my, one of my favorite ones was the hereditary one. You did the dad, <laughs> and it was Forgot just a, that. it was just a bunch of ashes. It was the severed head of the girl <laughs> and just a bunch of ashes. That it was the hereditary awesome. place. Well, you, you did a sword one uh, that you gave me. It was the the sword action figure. It was just it the was sword, just a sword and then a bag of weed. Yeah, and it and I was just like, is that real weed? And you're like, I don't know. You have to open it and find out. <laughs> it cost two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> well, I will show you some really stupid shit because I'm doing uh, hip hop week starting this week oh god so I made so here's Cypress Hill which is Holy just weed shit. it's just weed oh my god y'all it's have to check this shit like out man. and here is I made it speaking of Pet Cemetery. I made Gage from Pet Cemetery, which it's is just, just a shoe but just a bloody shoe just a shoe <laughs> which is kind of transparent but I'm a huge Stephen King fan too and if uh, if you know the, the Stephen King multiverse timeline uh, do you know because they only found one shoe from Gage that's true do you know where the other shoe ended up was it in the grill of the truck or something? No, it was in the uh, uh, the mailbox of somebody in the in regulators. The mailbox? It was in a mailbox of somebody in the regulators. That alternate uh, universe oh, story no from shit. Desperation. Yeah, that they went. Yeah. It, like, the, the Gage got hit so fucking hard by the semi that his shoe went into another dimension and landed yeah. in somebody's mailbox. He fucking is all about tying those loose ends together. <laughs> Stephen King. Well, I did when I did Stephen King week. I did my own. I did. That was another time I did, too. Uh, my buddy Martini, Mike Hargett, who you yeah. know, who does a lot uh, of our absolutely. video stuff. What's up? Mike, uh, 
bought, I did um, Stephen King as the guy from Creepshow. And it was just a bush with a shotgun. Oh, my God. That's right. I forgot about that shit. Just all it was just like, a bush with a shotgun. Just, like an old it. model bush from, like, you know, an army figure thing. And I made two of those because Mike got one, and I sent the other one to Stephen King via, via his uh, publicist. I just mailed it off. I never know if he got it or not. But You also sent one to uh, Neil Gaiman. You made well, a, Neil well, Gaiman. I mean, well, sort of. I mean, in dude, a, in that's a, what's so surreal, too. Way. Yeah, like, Neil Gaiman's living in New Zealand. And he posted a thing about his, he's like, he has a kid who's like a, I don't know, like a six-year-old little boy. Ash. Ash, yeah. And Neil Gaiman is married to a... Used to be. Oh. Well, at the time, was married to Amanda Palmer, who's (laughs) from Dresden Dolls. And um, artist with an A, both of them, you know. And so he was like, I'm having this argument with my kid. He thinks there should be the woman from the garden scene in Shaun of the Dead as an action figure, and I'm telling him it doesn't exist. I just had to go on Amazon and tell him that. And somebody tagged me in this and said, maybe JT can help. And I said, oh, let's see. I just left it very open. And so I made that toy for his son and mailed it to New Zealand. But it was called, like, the toy was it called... It was called woman in the gar- Zombie Woman in the Garden from Shaun of the Dead that should exist according to Ash. (laughs) (laughs) And I made her with like the pipe through her stomach and everything because I knew immediately who he was talking about and I just mailed it to New Zealand because I I messaged like their assistant got in touch with me or something. I forget how but they have like an assistant who who I reached out to somehow. Somebody told me that was their publicist and she was like mailed to this address and I sent it and like six weeks later I get this message by my Twitter starts exploding. I was like, well, something happened. Like, bells are going off. And I get this message, this Twitter that I'm just tagged in from Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer saying, you, you made our kids' life. We owe you a favor at any time. Like, never hesitate to ask. Like, some Whoa. favor on demand from Neil Gaiman. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, I don't know. Stuff like that. I was just happy the kid liked it. You know, right. I, I made a handwritten sign. Or not a sign. I made a note to the kid, and I included, like, some, some old EC Comics like nice. zombie comics, you know, like uh, Tales from the Crypt and stuff. Hell yeah. And I was just said, hey, uh, you know, just remember that uh, some Americans are nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and, and tell your dad that you won the argument. That's incredible. Dude, you're one of my favorite humans, man. Thanks for sitting down with us. I just We got stories for fucking days. Yeah, we'll go forever. I feel like I yammered I, I, a lot, I, man. No, no, this is perfect. I mean, uh, the, the whole point of this podcast was, I realized, was to um, just shine a light on all my friends that uh that anyone that knows me or, or is interested in what i'm into this is this is the whole point of just like just just just, just making everybody else shine well man you know? i'm sorry and i just i just, I just accidentally stepped on my dick and had booked a date <laughs> uh i said yes to a show and then i promptly canceled it because i realized it's your first show back in austin when you guys are the sword is going to be on tour with primus and so I September 9th September baby. 9th I said yes great. to a show on September 9th that I promptly cancelled it I will get and you so, in for uh, free because those tickets are hella expensive oh my goodness are they yeah. well I don't know I, either way I was going to be there I'm like I'm not missing my boys first show back I appreciate that man um, but for anybody listening you can catch me on tour starting uh, soon with Eddie Pepitone we're going to be you go to jtcomedy.com or eddiepepitone.com we're on tour for the rest of the year hooray <laughs> finally, finally. <laughs> yeah, really. be easy brother thanks Thanks so much for tuning into the highway this week. A big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at the Highway with Kyle Shutt. For a few bucks a month, 
You can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout-out. 